Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, everyone. Economic Indicators, this Jobs Day, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network, when it's time to change. The conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. A constructive report. Here's our Vinny Del Judice. Good morning, Tom. Non-farm payrolls up by 215,000 in March. And, yes, that tops Wall Street forecast. The prior month revised a bit higher. The unemployment rate creeping up to 5% from 4.9%. Average hourly earnings topping forecasts up 0.3%. Up 0.3%. So generally speaking, a strong report. Non-farm payrolls again March up 215,000. Unemployment 5% versus 4.9%. Average hourly earnings up 0.3%. These are all March numbers, and that 0.3% reverses a decline in earnings in February. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. And, Barry, very quickly, a move in the yields, three basis point move, two-year yield higher, the 10-year yield 1.80%. Barry, what do you see? Uh, interesting to see the unemployment rate tick back up. That's actually a positive, as counterintuitive as that sounds. More people are returning to the labor force looking for work. And that's why we're starting to see uh, a little bit of uh, increase in the, in the unemployment rate. It tells you people are optimistic about the possibility of finding work. And so they come back to the labor market, and that ticks, uh, that's, that's why we ticked up from 49 to 5.0%. Yeah. Jim Glassman with us for a few more minutes is he. What a privilege it is to have Jim Glassman out of Robert Gordon's Northwestern uh, giving us perspective here. And I, and I think... Uh, Jim Glassman, if I see one thing, the net revision, I've never seen this, was a negative one. Hmm. I mean, it really shows some stability. And I'm going to suggest, as Barry mentions, Jim Glassman, that maybe a 5% unemployment rate is a better idea. Yeah, and, and I've been thinking as long as the job market is steady and employment is growing and the unemployment rate's not coming down, that's fine because what it means is we know there are jobs being created and we know there's a lot of people who left the market a while ago. As the job market improves, they're going to be coming back in. So you shouldn't expect the unemployment rate to go down much. Job leavers explodes from 9.7% up to 10.5%, showing some of the optimism that Barry Ritholtz will walk out the door here in the coming hours. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a reversal. Remember last month we had some weird declines in wages and hours worked. Now we're seeing some reversal of that. My guess is, well, we're, we're really on the track that we were on before. This is a really steady report. And okay. it's, it's consistent with ADP and with jobless claims, which have not been doing anything really is since our, the fall. Jim Glassman, thank you so much with J.P. Morgan. And right now, folks, on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television Worldwide, we welcome all of you as we speak with Bill Gross of Janus. Uh, capital. Bill, the bond market moves, yields up, price down. We want to get you before you have to run back and salvage your portfolio. Uh, uh, you know, one month does not make a, a, a report, but this shows some of the resiliency that Chair Yellen, the ambiguity that Chair Yellen dealt with last week in her speech. Yeah, I think so. It's a good report. Uh, wages uh, did better than expected, and of course, jobs are doing about the 
the same at uh, 200,000 plus. And so, um, you know, good numbers domestically. What uh, what strikes me, I guess, about the Fed, if that's your question, is that, uh, you know, the Fed's clearly countered easing moves by the ECB and the BOJ, whether intentional or not. I, as you point out, uh, minute by minute, the dollar's weaker by 5% against both uh, euro and uh, the yen over the past month or so. And so the conundrum, as they say, is that, uh, you know, they're data dependent. They focus on jobs, unemployment rates, wage growth. That's what we saw just for the moment. Yet it's global as opposed to domestic conditions that have right. grabbed Yellen's attention. And uh, I, don't, I don't blame the markets for being confused, but clearly uh, markets are a little confused as to whether to be bullish about this report or look globally for other reports. The, the moving averages of non-farm payrolls, Bill Gross, conflate right down to two, three month, 211, six month, 246, one year right near the six month, 234,000. By any standard, those are good numbers. Review with us again the reticence that Chair Yellen has to act, which you wrote about so strongly in your latest Janus report. Well, hopefully she recognizes. I think she does. She's in charge there, uh, to my way of thinking, uh, strongly in charge. I, I think she recognizes that those jobs are not necessarily translating into economic growth. I mean, we've seen industrial production flat and uh, to some extent down. We've, we've seen um, you know, other statistics in terms of retail sales being flat to down, and we have a forecast of the first quarter GDP at 0.6% uh, from the Atlanta Fed. You know, those are numbers that suggest robust growth right. despite the jobs situation. And so I think she has some domestic caution, although she doesn't express it, and she certainly has some global caution in terms of emerging markets and, uh, and European and Euroland situations. Bill, is, is this to Americas? I mean, when you wrote your report last week and what we see today and the challenges that Barry Ritholtz and I have seen over the last international week, to bring it back domestically, is this to Americas that Janet Yellen's trying to manage and to deal with? Well, certainly, and, and we know she's trying to do it all by herself, right, uh, to uh, the extent that the fiscal policy side has been absent for years now and probably will continue to be absent, and it's all on Janet Yellen's shoulder, and she's trying uh, to some extent to balance that out. Now, in my view, uh, she's doing it incorrectly to the extent that interest rates are low or even negative in some countries, as I pointed out in my investment outlook, and that has negative implications uh, for job growth in financial institutions. We see cutbacks you know, day by day there because they can't generate the same profitability mm -hmm. at low interest rates. And insurance companies, pension funds, uh, even the, the household saver is affected by these low rates. So, you, you know, it's not only two Americas, but it's, it's two conceptual ideas in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And I think She's right. still stuck on the old model of low interest rates work. Let's reset right now for Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television Worldwide. William Gross joining us from Janus Capital, as he always does. A good jobs report. Yields higher. Gross's portfolio lower over the last 10 minutes. 1.79% 10-year yield. A two-year yield, 0.75. April Fool's bill. 0.75% uh, in the two-year yield. And futures, negative eight. I want to bring in Barry Ritholtz with some perspective with Mr. Gross. Barry? So just very simply, is there anything in this report that should dissuade Chair Yellen from moving come June? 
Well, uh, you know, the, the dissenters, so to speak, and there's a few of them, uh, Evans and uh, Williams and uh, Bullard, um, you know, would, would point to wage growth as a potential down the road for a, a June move. And I, I, I think several of them have suggested that two moves in 2016, Barry, are what uh, we should expect now they changed their minds and uh, they are data dependent and it's up to the global situation, I suppose. But, you know, to my way of thinking, some of them at least realize that they've got to normalize interest rates or else. And, and uh, to the extent that they have an opportunity in terms of higher wage growth, to the extent that they have an opportunity in terms of 200,000 plus jobs month after month, then, yeah, June looks like a uh, likely month to do one of those two hikes. So we saw wages tick up modestly, 0.3%. This is the political year. This is a political silly season. And a lot of the angst that's out there may be attributed to the lack of wage growth. When, as an economy, are we going to start to see that pick up? Well, the Fed claims uh, that we're starting to see that and that we'll continue to see that as uh, as unemployment stays at five or moves lower than five, you know, over a period of time. You know, that's the old uh, Phillips curve, you know, type of logic in which you tighten um, the unemployment rate and ultimately wages go up and uh, inflation is produced. Um, to my way of thinking, that's an outdated <coughs> model. We know that because of the participation rate that sort of jimmied the the entire equation. We know that U9 is, or U6 is probably at 9.9 to 10 percent, and that's a more realistic level to my way of thinking of the amount of unemployed. Bill, I want to talk about productivity and efficiency. Now, we are going to bring up, folks, an actual photograph of Bill Gross's Monroe Trader from 1964. Here it is right here. This is productivity when Gross was in the mailroom at PIMCO. And we move all the way forward, Bill. And on radio worldwide, all I can say is everybody has a mystery of productivity moving from Bill Gross's Monroe Trader to the Kufalanesser slide rule he uses today. Bill, on productivity, is it really there? Is the new efficiency there? And will it create jobs? Well, that's the critical one uh, for the Fed. It's subjective to a certain extent, but the numbers, uh, as as you're uh, beginning to point out, are dramatically down. 3.5% average uh, on a five-year basis uh, only five years ago at the peak of the uh, of the economy and now at 0.5% right. uh, average well. annually uh, for the last five okay. years. And so uh, how can it... Bill, Bill, let's come back with Bill Gross. We'll continue this discussion on America's productivity. Surveillance brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking. $50,000 or more. Get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by CBOE VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with CBOE VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at cboe.com slash powerful outcomes VIX. The pound depreciating to its weakest level versus the euro in 15 months is a report showing manufacturing output held near the lowest since 2013, highlighted concerns that U.K. growth is slowing. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, remain lower after the data showing employment climbed and wages picked up in March, signs of labor market durability in the face of lethargic global growth. S&P E-mini futures down 10 points, Dow E-mini futures down 82, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 22. The DAX in Germany is down 2.5%, 10-year Treasury down 3.30 seconds, the yield 1.77%. NYMEX crude oil down 2.8% or $1.08 to 37.26 a barrel. And COMEX gold is down 1% or $11.90 to 12.23.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.1403. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Karen, thanks so much. Again, an important interview today. John Micklethwaite, our editor-in-chief, in conversation with the Deputy Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia on oil on Aramco, and on their new Sovereign Wealth Fund as well. We now welcome uh, Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. We continue with William Gross of Janus Capital. Bill, let's talk bonds now. Willem Bowder on earlier with his call of a global slowdown. You've had the same idea of a weaker global economy, lower yields, higher Bond prices, you've had terrific performance in your unconstrained bond fund right now. Okay, that was that's old news, Bill. Give me the new news for the second quarter and into this year. How will you position given global slowdown? Well, I think you have to position uh, for, you know, rather static monetary policy. That that, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we don't have one hike or so uh, in, in 2016, but you, you position with a static policy. And, and what does that get you? Does it get you uh, 1.8% on a 10-year Treasury for the next 12 months? That That's not very much. Um, so I, I think rather than buying bonds, and certainly you don't want to buy bonds or, or German bonds mm-hmm. that uh, yield negative rates all the way out to to eight years. You don't want to do that. Uh, What you basically do is you you sell volatility around uh, the yield in order to take advantage of what I perceive to be a a rather gradual, if that, uh, interest rate hike in terms of the Federal Reserve. And if it's gradual, then volatility will be low. And instead of buying it, you want to sell it and generate uh, higher yields that way. Very uh, importantly, Bill, before I bring in Barry Ritholtz, without question the theme of the week in every interview is the uh, difficulties in China. Again, Professor Bowder of Citigroup saying it is the dire straits of China. Bill Gross on the quality of Chinese and emerging market debt right now. What do you observe in the price action? Well, uh, the, the Chinese debt is uh, increasing at uh, geometric levels almost. That's an exaggeration, but but uh, moving much higher. Uh, corporate GDP and uh, corporate debt to GDP in China is 240 percent, which is probably twice what it is in in other countries. And so it's a potential problem down the road to the extent that China can't continue to forgive some of that debt. And, and Tom, here's the. The, the incredible thing, about a month ago, they uh, suggested a policy of, of debt swaps, that is, 
swapping debt for equity. And in the United States, we call that bankruptcy, but in China, they call that a, a debt swap. And, and so, you know, they have significant problems there, um, much of which uh, is underneath the carpet, so to speak, and, and uh, we'll never know until we know, so to speak. But I, I, I don't trust China. I think it's the mystery meat of uh, global economies. And uh, being a mystery, you know, it, it's incumbent upon an investor to uh, to observe and to to, to uh, expect ramifications down the road. I think it's just amazing, Barry, how Bill Gross uses the phrase "mystery meat," which is what they served at the yellow lunch. I've been I've been talking about I've been talking about Monty Python spam all morning yeah. on Twitter, and and that's the same mystery meat. Bill, let me ask you an important question. It's something Tom and I have been discussing all week about investors who are looking for yield and where they put their money. And a quote in the Bloomberg column about your great performance this quarter, finishing in the top 10% of unconstrained bond funds, you, you specifically said, quote, if we can't make money on pure bonds, let's make money on these other things. What are these other things? Well, the other things are incumbent to all uh, financial markets. Uh, their credit risk, uh, volatility risk, which I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, um, liquidity risk, and to a certain extent, currency. Um, those incorporate to me all of the total risk within the market. And so if you don't want to take a risk in the bond market, that is taking duration risk, uh, buying a five or a ten-year Treasury with price risk, um, then you want to take uh, or you want to sell credit risk or you want to take or you want to sell uh, volatility and you want to take or you want to sell liquidity risk. And so those are the ways to generate income. You've got to be on the right side um, and, and you've got to have the right forecast. But uh, that's what an unconstrained strategy can do for you. So, so let's step back and put that into even larger context you, you said something um, recently which reminded me of a, a very similar quote from Howard Marks, and I've had both you and Howard on Masters in Business where you each did a fabulous job. But the quote that you said that stayed with me, put together a succession over 16-month periods where you're in the top 75%, and over 5 to 15 years when everything is said and done without any blow-ups, that puts you in the top 99th percentile. Explain how merely finishing in the top quartile ultimately puts you in the top 1%. Well, it's, uh, it's not mathematically uh, simple and not necessarily the case, but it's the same thing as a, let's take an NBA playoff game. If, if the Golden State Warriors win each quarter by four points, and that's not a lot, uh, then at the end of the game, it's a near blowout at a 16-point victory. And, and so it's the same way uh, in, in many aspects of investing. If you finish near the top over a shorter period of time and combine that in terms of quarters, then mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the game, uh, you've got a blowout victory. Uh, Bill, uh, years ago on this program, with your commitment to Bloomberg surveillance, uh, you made clear there was a place for dividend and dividend growth. What's changed, and some of this is central bank-induced, is we have dividends ever so popular and high multiple big-cap consumer stocks. Can you change now where you say a dividend is not a yield proxy and that there's risk in dividend stocks just because they've been priced to perfection? 
Well, you can in certain areas. You know, certainly not in terms of the large cap companies like a 3M or a Procter or a Coke. You know, that those uh, dividends have been consistent for years, but we've seen that in the energy right. patch, have we not? That the dividends, uh, you know, whether they're um, in, in specialized vehicles or in oil production or in, in drilling companies, that those dividends are risk. And so the, uh, that's at the margin. And as as the economy slows down, if it slows down to the point mm -hmm. where where growth is threatening profits, then dividends ultimately are threatened too. So right. a dividend is not a perpetual thing that always goes up. Bill, in the time we've got left for you this morning, I've got to address what is front and center for all of global Wall Street, and that is the challenges of European banking and even, indeed, large-cap, too-big-to-fail American banking as well. I think of Jenny Strasberg's article on crying of Deutsche Bank in the Wall Street Journal uh, today. What is your to-do list for European banking so that they can create destruct to greater stability that helps all investors worldwide? Well, they, like uh, American banks in 2009, need more capital. Now, the, the, in the U.S., we observed that rather quickly, and we recapitalized banks almost forcefully. Um, and uh, later on, we uh, basically suggested that they raise equity, and they did. You know, American banks are much better capitalized. European banks are slower uh, on the, the get-go, so to speak. And, you know, it's been incumbent upon the ECB to not buy bank bonds, but to buy corporate bonds and to let the, the follow-through uh, into mm -hmm. the, the bank market support, support those levels. But ultimately, banks need to raise equity. That's that's the simple solution in Dodd-Frank, right. and it's hundreds and hundreds of pages. You know, it should address it in a, a simple paragraph, Bill, more equity capital. Forty seconds left. What would it need for you to be able to purchase, and I'll pick on Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank debt, Deutsche Bank derivatives, Deutsche Bank equity? What do you need to see in a given major bank for you to become enthusiastic and a deep value investor? Well, a rock-bottom price, and that begs the same question, I suppose. What's the rock-bottom price? And, and, and some, some openness and open air in, in terms of their their actual balance sheet. You know, Deutsche, not to be critical, but you brought it up, you know, has for a long time been the, the subject of question marks in terms of how much capital they really have and the extent of their non-performing loans. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's a mystery there. And I, mm -hmm. I would uh, simply move to higher quality banks as opposed to expect to, to find uh, Deutsche Bank at a, such a low price that it, it couldn't go down any further because we know some banks can. Right. Bill Gross, you've been very generous at your time. William Gross, folks, of Janus Capital, joining us in the course uh, with a, a really terrific quarter and, and a year of performance. It is unconstrained uh, fun. The futures deteriorate, negative 10 down to negative 12. The yield, 1.77%. We continue. Barry Ridholtz and Tom Keene, another hour jobs day of Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 